This is a Soul Fire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. First off, I want to thank TJ, Tiffany, Barbara, and Abigail for joining that Patreon community. You are appreciated and honored, and I'm honored to have you in the Politically Homeless Patreon. Thank you so much. If you are interested in getting premium content, Q&As, crowdsourced episodes every week, directly to and for the Patreon community. Hit that link in the show notes, patreon.com slash politically homeless. All right, everybody. It's been a weird week. It's been a weird week for all of us. Um, Particularly weird for me. It was weird because of the shootings, of course. Um, The elephant in the room. And uh, also, (laughs) my laptop was getting repaired for about five or six days. It was a very hectic time. I was running on a 2015 13-inch MacBook that uh, tapped out by just watching a YouTube video. So recording these podcasts was not going to be a thing. It was super frustrating for me, um, and I missed all of you. I missed all of you so, so much. But uh, here we are. We're back, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go about this a little differently. Um, I don't feel comfortable... Um, and I have a lot of topics that we could talk about and do these different things. I don't feel comfortable mixing those, um, with these shootings. Um, I want to address the shootings and just gun guns in general, um, shootings in general, mental health in general. Like I want to get into, um, what we know about the shootings, what we can do about that. I want to do all that in one episode. So we're just going to cover the Atlanta shooting and the, the Colorado shooting, which happened about half an hour from my house. Um, Going to cover all of that as well as what we can do uh, with gun policy going forward, the responses, all of these kind of things. We're going to do that on this show. I'm going to record a premium episode right after this. So if you're down for that, make sure to be in the Patreon community. We're just doing everything all, all in a uh, all in a condensed period because of my uh, missing uh, laptop situation. And then um, and then we'll do a more a more normal show. I just want to separate the two out, out of respect for the victims and and, and it just all of this. I feel like it'd be weird to go from hey, ten people got shot at a grocery store to like making a fun a fun joke about some other silly bullshit that's going on in the world. So that's where we're at. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna break into that. So the state of things is gonna be the Atlanta shooting and the Colorado shooting, and then in something to think about, we're just gonna talk about what we can do about guns and gun violence. So. Interesting times. This is crazy. This is just my heart goes out to anybody impacted by these by this violence, and it's this is rough. It's rough for someone who who's you know got the weapons that this guy used or these guys used, um, and the fallout of all of this. And we're gonna get into this. And, and I'm honestly, I was gonna record this last night, but I was just so frustrated and it was getting so heated that I felt like it would be doing you all a disservice. So. We're doing it today. We're going to get in there. And this is just, this is, this is tough. You know, this is tough because this does happen here often, too often. And it's incredibly frustrating, incredibly frustrating. So, you know what? I think that's enough of an intro. Uh, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, all that kind of fun stuff. But that's not really what we're talking about today. Let's get into the serious stuff. State of things, starting off with the Atlanta shooting. 
All right, all right, all right. So what we're going to do is a little bit different than what I think maybe most people are doing. By this point, you've heard all the details, right? You know that eight people were shot. Um, you know, it was done with an AR-15. It was in Atlanta. Um, and there was a lot going on. So I want to I dive in more into the, the fallout um, the way that narratives were picked and and leveraged and just get into exactly what happened um, after the Atlanta shooting. It's a tragedy. It's hard to see this. And and this this man was clearly quite um, deranged. So the immediate thing, the immediate response, and we're going to see some trends here between this shooting and the Colorado shooting. The immediate response was Instagram being full of things like this. Um, we have a live update here that somebody had taken a screenshot of. It says eight killed in shooting at Atlanta area spas. And this person, Kara, uh, had gone ahead and edited this and said um, eight killed, six of them Asian women in hate crime at Asian-owned Atlanta spas. And her caption says, language matters, fix your headlines. So that's not the role of a headline, Kara. Okay, the role of a headline is to give general information. This is what what you've done is fix their headline and turned it into clickbait with limited information. It is a clickbait headline full of assumptions written the way that you want that is trash. That is tabloid trash. So you would prefer for this to be tabloid trash. Also, what about the other two people who died as well? The two white people who died? Their lives not matter? Is that just uh, an afterthought? And hate crime is a very specific term. Okay, hate crime is a very specific term. We have zero evidence that this was motivated by race. Zero. Now, when we get into it, we have a guy who was very convicted to his beliefs about sexuality and his religion and was living in a, a, a cesspool of shame. And he punished those who he believed were guilty of, of, of luring him into sin against his sky god. Okay? He's a religious fundamentalist. And that's fucked up. That is fucked up on a whole different level. But if you want to hijack the conversation and make it a race issue because it fits your narrative, we can do that, but it's not productive. It's not helpful. And it sure as fuck isn't honest. And that's one of the things about both of these shootings that's driving me fucking wild right now and getting me all riled up is the lack of honesty in approaching the motives behind these killings. Because what you're doing by manipulating these headlines and running away with your narrative, okay, running away with your narrative here, is disrespecting those killed and their families by turning them into a pawn in your greater game. That's fucked up. I would even go as far as, so far as to say that it's racist. Just just because these were Asian women that died, six of the eight, yes, does not mean it was racially motivated. And you can say, well, he was fetishizing Asian women. What does that even fucking mean? You're going to stop fetishizing Asian women? People, okay, so let's, let's, how about this? Women out there, let's just flip the script and turn it to something completely innocuous. Women out there, quit fetishizing guys that are over six feet tall when you're on dating apps. 
Makes about as much fucking sense, doesn't it? Some physical attribute that you can't do anything about, that you happen to be attracted to. Quit fetishizing men that are over six feet. Equal representation across the board. If a guy's 5'7 and you're on a date with him, you have no right to be less attracted. Makes about as much fucking sense, doesn't it? But here we are having murders manipulated for someone's narrative. Happens on the left, happens on the right. But that's what this is. And don't get it fucking twisted. Now, like I said, we all know the details. We've seen what's going on here. I wanted to pull up this article here by Zed Jelani. He is from Atlanta. He is a person of color and a, a, an outstanding journalist. And I want to get into this. Get into this. Uh, he wrote this op- opinion piece for Newsweek. He said, and this was actually written before the Colorado shooting, so this is specifically about the Atlanta shootings. The nation is reeling from the news of three shootings that took place at Asian-owned massage parlors in Atlanta. The suspect, a young white man, is in custody and has admitted to the murders. The attack is the latest in a series of high-profile crimes from coast to coast uh, that have victimized Asian-Americans, though initial reports suggest that the latest crime may not be motivated by anti-Asian hatred. The attacker reportedly saw the parlors as temptation he wanted to eliminate in quotes there that's what he said suggesting a perverse sexual violence related motive rather than a racial one if anything this is a hate crime against sex workers that that's a case that can be made this is a crime against sex workers okay i personally think that getting a hand job at the end of a massage should be fucking legal if somebody wants to give you a hand job it should i've never had it i've never done it I could, I would, maybe. I don't know if I was in Vegas. Why not? Sounds pretty relaxing. But that's completely different than a racially motivated hate crime. He continues here, and by the way, the the, the title of this article here is We Can't Stop Anti-Asian Violence Until We're Honest About It. So that's where where we're coming from here. This has not stopped progressives from blaming the murders on white supremacy, as they have been for the duration of this epidemic of violence against Asian Americans. Democratic politicians, liberal-leaning media outlets, and progressive nonprofits would have been quick to blame white supremacy or white right-wing political rhetoric about COVID-19 for the brutal attacks, and the attack in Atlanta has been cast as a culmination of these forces. The news that race may not have been the factor in this attack will probably not shake their conviction that the greatest threat to Asian Americans right now comes from white supremacy. And yet, unlike the suspects arrested for the crimes in Atlanta, few of these attackers and most of these cases are even white, let alone white supremacists. Take the case of Vicha Ratnapakni, who was slain in San Francisco. The suspect in his death, Antone Watson, is a 19-year-old African-American man. That didn't stop marches in New York City from organizing a march to unite against white nationalism in response to in, in response to anti-Asian attacks using promotional art depicting racial justice for Ratnapatni's death. Now, a black man killed an Asian man and... The response to that was, unite against white nationalism. Really. 
data bears out how disconnected such, such activism, activism is from the facts. Uh, one recent study that looked at hate crimes that took place between 1992 and 2014 found that Asian Americans have, as mu- have a much higher chance of being victimized by other minorities in hate crimes than members of my other minority groups do. In this period, 25% of offenders in anti-Asian hate crimes were non-white, while just 1% of offenders in anti-African American hate crimes were, were non-white. That makes sense. But it's important to acknowledge that many of the most recent attacks may not be primarily motivated by simple racial hatred. Over the past year, we've seen a massive increase in violent crimes in general, particularly shootings and homicides. In many instances, working class Asian Americans are likely being impacted by a crime wave that is shock- that is rocking American cities and impacting many people of lower socioeconomic status. And this is really good. And he gets into, this is the thing about uh, real journalism. It's honest, right? And it presents all sides. And I do want to say about, about Zed that he is an actual leftist, right? He is as, as close to socialism, or as closest to socialist, if not socialist, right? He is a real leftist. Not a leftist Instagram warrior uh, social justice advocate, right? Not that kind of person, but a real leftist that, that looks at the encompassing um, socioeconomic disparities, wealth income inequality, things like that. General injustice. So he's not coming at this from a white right wing perspective. Um, and he, if we go here, he says, you can see in the case of Pac Ho, a 75 year old who was robbed and fatally assaulted in Oakland in early March, there is no evidence Ho was targeted for being Asian. The chief suspect in his death, Tuan Bailey, has a long rap sheet that includes charges of robbery, possession of stolen property, a parole violation, and child endangerment all taking place over the last year. Although we don't have all the facts, it looks as if Ho was just another victim of a career career criminal motivated by greed. Still, it's important to acknowledge that stereotypes can motivate even common criminals to target Asians for economic crimes. In 2010, a young man named Amanzi Iminki, who was raised in San Francisco, offered his candid thoughts on these stereotypes in a blog post uh, for New American Media. Amenke, who is African-American, had robbed Chinese students and was charged with a hate crime. The hate crime charge was later dropped. Amenke explained that he wasn't motivated by hatred of Asian-Americans so much that the perception that they are easy targets. When I was introduced to the hate crime scene, or excuse me, when I was introduced to the crime scene, I was put on to rob Asians and Latinos on Third Street, he wrote. He went on to explain the reason Asian kids are robbed is because they are assumed that young Asian kids on Third Street are filthy rich and have an iPod or a laptop on them. To a young, broke black male, the prospect of nabbing a few hundred dollars from some Asian kid's pocket is even greater during this recession. Important to note, right? A lot of this hate crime against Asians is more or less economic crimes against somebody who's perceived as an easy target. And you got to think what do in Asian communities, what do many Asians own and operate small businesses like laundromats, uh, convenience stores, a lot of cash based businesses. And 
A lot of time, older Asian people are frail and small and easy targets that generally will have cash on them as well. we got to keep all of these things in mind. We're talking about economic crimes. We can't just say because an Asian was robbed, that's a hate crime. That is a robbery. Those are two completely separate things. To the extent these crimes are motivated by either ethnic stereotypes or ethnic hatred, the role of economic competition can't be underplayed. The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights registered this this dynamic in 1992 when it noted that many Asian immigrants operate small retail stores and restaurants in economically depressed, predominantly minority neighborhoods. The, in, in, the entry of small business businesses owned by Asian Americans into these neighborhoods as their apparent financial success often provoked resentment on the part of neighborhood residents. So he goes on to say, this is a classic case of people who are poor being angry at people who are slightly less poor. And that causes um, some racial disparities. And he goes on to say that there's data proving that Asian Americans and black people don't like each other. African Americans, Asian Americans don't like each other, generally speaking. And we've seen this stereotype on all kinds of movies. I think um, uh, uh, Don't Be a Menace talks about this. I think they talk about it on Friday. Like these like black comedies, they go into these stereotypes all the time because they're, 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 they hold up, right? We see this over and over again. Um, we go down, he says, if prejudice in the hands of white people can be destructive and anybody with any knowledge of American history knows that it can be, then prejudice in the hands of others can be just as terrible. We will not stop the wave of violence against Asian Americans if we can't admit where it's coming from. Blaming white supremacists will almost ent- entirely ensure that these attacks continue. And that's the thing. We, we aren't honest about where these attacks are coming from. Right, and you can understand how the narratives are being manipulated here. If you don't, if you aren't honest about where the attacks are coming from and the motivations of the attacks, then you can't solve the problem. Right, that's the first step in the twelve steps. Admit that there's a problem, identify that problem, and then try to find solutions to that problem. Now, what we're seeing here, and I would say, you know, it's funny that Democrats are the ones jumping on this bandwagon because they're also the ones that are fucking pro lockdown and creating an economic depression that could be. The primary motivator for all of this. So we have to look at all the factors included, but if you just scapegoat it with white supremacy, you're missing entire sections of the point here, and you're limiting the amount of the, the kind of solutions that you can create for these problems. It's insane. If progressives believe that minorities should hold power, it then logically follows that we should be seen as agents of our own destiny. He was speaking as a minority here. After all, if those of us from ethnic minority groups were nothing more than pawns in the white supremacy's grand game, then all of our actions, direct, uh, dictated by nothing more than a series of events set off by a transatlantic slave trade and colonialism, then not only are, are we not responsible for our own sins, we lack credit for our own achievement. Zed Jelani taking complete responsibility and speaking in a hyper-pragmatic way. Really appreciate that. Everything from Marvin Gaye's soulful music to Noor Ivance Khan's brave defiance, defiance of the Nazis would have been reduced to nothing more than a reflection of the true masters of society, white people. Ironically, those who claim that every single malady of the non-white person in society is the consequence of white supremacy seem to be practicing it. And that's where we're at. Okay, and the fallout of this whole entire situation has been atrocious, right? Atrocious. It fits a narrative that is very popular, okay? And this is what people do that are that are 
so let's just call them social justice warriors because I don't really appreciate calling them the left because that is not what the left. Zedjlani is the left, okay? I live on the left. Social justice warriors, they're children, okay? They act like children. And just like children, they get bored. They get bored and they need a new thing to do. It was Black Lives Matter for a long time. We're doing that. They get fed. They, they get they get exhausted with that. They're doing the thing. Now let's move on to the next thing. Let's now it's going to be stop Asian hate for a while. Then we'll move on to the next thing. That's how this is going to go. And you get things like this. Whiteness is a pandemic. Whiteness is a pandemic. Um, Damon Young wrote this article here, and let's just read some excerpts of this. He says I don't have much to add here that hasn't already been said. Whiteness is a public health crisis. It shortens life expectancies. It pollutes air. It constricts equilibrium. It devastates forests. It melts ice cap, melts ice caps. It sparks and funds wars. It flattens dialects. It infects consciousness and it kills people. White people and people who are not white, my mom included. It kills people, people that are not my mom included. There will be people who die in 2050 because of white supremacy-induced decisions from 1850. Really. This is insane. This is insane that this is, this is going around and this is accepted speech. Now, that's not even the worst of it. Let's read this final paragraph here. White supremacy is a virus that, like other viruses, will not die until there is no bodies left for it to infect, which means the only way to stop it is to locate it, isolate it, extract it, and kill it. I guess a vaccine could work too, but we've had 400 years to develop one, so I won't hold my breath. And this is in direct response to a crime that was not motivated by white supremacy. Now, you, people will argue that because this guy wasn't shot on sight, is the only reason is because he's white. Which, maybe, or maybe he just gave up. Because it's better to take these criminals, just like the one in Colorado, into custody and understand their motivations and why they did what they did. Where they got the guns. Find out every facet that is responsible and try and figure out solutions to the problem. Now, I'm going to make everybody a little bit uncomfortable here because I want to look at this, okay? He says, white supremacy is a virus. But the headline of the article, the title of the article is, whiteness is a pandemic. So we could generally say he's talking about not white supremacy, but whiteness in general, which is a common critical race theory trope, that whiteness is the problem. And I'm going to be honest, for a while, I was like, all right, I'll tolerate this. For a while. It's been well over a fucking year now, and I'm fucking fed up with this bullshit. This is fucking trash. This is trash ideology. And I say that about lots of things that are trash ideology. I come at every ideology that I feel like is garbage. Because ideas are toxic. Ideas are more dangerous than people, in my opinion. Okay? If we were to sub white supremacy with any other racial group. What if we said Islam is a virus, blackness is a virus, Christianity is a virus? What would that look like? How would that be received? What would happen to somebody who said those kind of things? They'd be ridiculed, which is what should happen when you say shit like this. 
But here we are, this being the fucking public narrative. So what I want to say here, and what I want to get into with this whiteness is a pandemic nonsense, is that you are leveraging the deaths of innocent people to push your fucking narrative. You're a coward for doing that. If you are using the deaths of innocent people to push your agenda and your narrative, regardless of the facts, manipulating information, manipulating people, you are the problem. If you're a white, black, Asian, doesn't fucking matter. You're not helping anybody. You're not solving any problems. What you're doing is validating yourself and standing on your soapbox of self-righteousness and using the outrageous amount of confirmation bias that exists within your cognitive process to fuck over other people and overlook the real tragedy of these people's death for your own personal gain. And anybody who would do that, anybody who would do that does not reserve my respect. And I would go as far as to say they don't reserve your respect either. Now, this guy, I'll say it, Damon Young. You want to have a conversation about whiteness being a pandemic? I invite you right now to come on the podcast. We'll have a discussion about it. And I don't want you to hold back because I sure as fuck won't. Because these type of people of all races that identify to an ideology that is so callous that it will that it will minimize deaths in order to push an agenda are deepening the divide as much if not more so than the people they're railing against. The Trump supporters, the conservatives that they believe are all racist You're trying to solve the problem by doing the same things you're accusing them of doing and deepening the divide in our country and living a hypocritical life. This was everywhere. This was trending all over the place and everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. I pulled up an article the other day from The Guardian. I don't have it up here right now, but it talked about real... Asian hate crimes. They happen in San Francisco as well. Now, I want to point out in San Francisco, they have a new attorney general that doesn't prosecute violent crimes. Now, they'll say that's their policy position for uh, circumventing our corrupt criminal justice system, which, yeah, our criminal justice system and our drug laws are incredibly racist. I would say they're the most systemically racist thing in this country, and they need reform. But violent criminals need to be off the fucking streets because this is where we get this from. And every Asian crime, every crime against an Asian person is now a symptom of white supremacy, even if a white person didn't do the crime. So anyways, I pulled this article up and it was this guy, it was a white guy this time. And he was just, seemed like he just was running around punching Asian people in the face. And there was a pattern and there was data and it was clear this guy was perpetrating hate crimes and should be prosecuted for hate crimes. And I sent it to a friend of mine who is a little bit of a a woke warrior and was like, here's what I'm looking for. When you send me something that says this is an Asian hate crime, show me how it's an Asian hate crime. Because I don't want it to be called a hate crime if it's a fucking robbery. 
I want it to be called what it is because if we have a robbery problem, if we have a people getting held up at gunpoint, well, we need to have something. If we have people being assaulted and robbed, that's also a problem that needs to be addressed. But if you hide it behind a, a hate crime, then all people talk about is the hate crime and the actual problem does not get addressed. And I find it hard to believe that in cities like San Francisco, which are incredibly liberal, that you would think, or even Atlanta for that, for that matter, another liberal city in a, in, a, in a very red state that went blue, by the way. When we look at all this, I find it hard to believe that Donald Trump's rhetoric around the Chinese virus or whatever the fuck he was saying and the Kung flu thing, I find that re- it really hard to believe that that's motivating people to, to commit that many hate crimes. But if it is, prosecute those motherfuckers for a hate crime. Find them. But if it's not, let's be honest about it. My heart goes out to people that were, that were impacted by this. The victims and their families. I think sex work is work. Whether, whether, they were, whether there was a happy ending at the end of a massage, like that's work. It's probably not fun to do. But you're making ends meet, you're doing the thing, you're providing a service, I get it. I think those people should be protected. But we can't look at this and call this something it's not because it pushes an agenda. I criticize the right for doing this all the fucking time. All the time. And I would be out of integrity if I didn't call the left out for doing the exact same thing. So we're going to leave that there. But this is, this, is, this is the tone of the show today. This is the tone of the show today. And there's no other tone that I could take, really, it feels like. So with that being said, let's move on to the next one. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element, one of the best beverages you'll ever put inside your body that does all the things that you need it to do. It's like water on steroids. It's delicious. And it, I drink so much more water, and I also have way less cravings when I check this, when I, when I check this stuff out, when I put this stuff inside of me. Okay, now it's developed by Rob Wolf, who is just, just a G at the end of the day, really. I mean, he's just a pioneer of health and fitness, and I'm really stoked they have the balls to sponsor this podcast. It is not an easy thing to do, and big shouts to them. But here's the deal. They are offering a eight-pack variety pack. I say pack every, twice every time I say that. I don't know why. But anyways, an eight-pack variety pack uh, of the most popular flavors. All you have to do is cover shipping, and that is for our listeners exclusive, baby. If you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders, the link is in the show notes. You can get that, but I also recommend checking out the Lemon Habanero. Get a big box because you're going to love it. If you like to sauna, if you're into fasting or keto or carnivore, any of those things, replenishing your electrolytes is really important. And also, if you're into stuff like hiking and getting out in the in the wilderness and you got to bring your water, anything where you're going to have to like either filter water or pack your water in, I recommend throwing this stuff in just because the water doesn't run through you as fast, so you don't have to stop and pee as much, but it also just hydrates you more when you're exerting yourself, especially 
especially at altitude. So check this stuff out, y'all. Everybody uses this. This stuff has been a game changer for me. I drink so much more water. I just feel better. Uh, right now, I'm actually quitting nicotine. Um, so I'm having these headaches, and this is actually helping a ton um, because that is kind of this like craving impulse. And for whatever reason, I'm finding that Element is helping me um, cut that out, which is been a struggle. I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm super glad I have Element for that. So that's drinkelement.com, drink lmnt.com slash wanders for the variety pack and definitely pick up some lemon habanero or the citrus is really good too. Check it out. Enjoy it. And it's a great way to support the show. Honestly, just do it. Go now. Link in description. Stay moist. All right. So Boulder, this happened really close to home for me, about 30 minutes down the road. Uh, really hard to watch. What happened was, man, started shooting before we even got into the, the King Supers, the grocery store there. Um, I was able to see a little bit of, the, of a, a live video that somebody had had been streaming on YouTube uh, before it got taken down. I think it was taken down, but it showed, I mean, there was bodies in the, in the parking lot and, and in the entryway and shots going off. And, you know, to be honest, my first instinct was, God damn, I wish I was there. Like, I wish I was there. I actually uh, just got in my concealed carry, um, and I was thinking, fuck, I wish I was there, um, which is a weird thought to have, but that was that was what, that's where my mind went, um, because there's so many people that can be victimized by something like this, and um, I don't know. I mean, I'm so glad that the people that were able to go out the back in a grocery store, uh, used to work in a grocery store. It's really easy to go through the back kind of by that frozen section. You just go out the back, uh, jump off the docks and, and a lot of people got to safety there. Um, so there were a lot of outs. People weren't trapped inside, um, which is something we can be grateful for in the whole scheme of things. But this is just an, an, an insane tragedy, uh, that, was really hard for me to wrap my mind around and, and was trying to stay up to date with it. Actually was able to get, as soon as they released his name, I was actually able to get into the guy's Facebook um, and just see a little bit before they took it down for about two or three minutes um, and was able to clearly see that this guy um, was Islamic and very strong in his beliefs. Uh, the dude hated Donald Trump was a pro refugee type of person. He did wrestling and loved jujitsu and mixed martial arts. Um, and honestly, it, it was so odd for me to hear this story and then go look at this guy's Facebook profile and have him. He just kind of looked like a normal dude. Um, you know, a normal Middle Eastern guy who he, he was born in Syria, came over here when he was like two or three years old. Um, but what was really interesting we had those early videos of him uh, and photos of him coming out and being arrested. He's bleeding down his leg. He was shot uh, by the police. He actually killed the first police officer who was on the scene. And total 10 people died. I think the ages were from 20 to uh, 60. Um, and, and just, I mean, and in Boulder of all places, which is one of the most liberal cities um, in the country, uh, especially outside of the West Coast. So a lot of this stuff isn't adding up to me and I'm not really sure why he would attack someplace like Boulder. Um, I don't really, I'm not really sure what his, no one really knows what his true motivations were. We're going to get to that and I'm going to keep you updated on that. But I, again, like with the, with the shooting in Atlanta, I want to look at how, before we had complete information, people started doubling down on white supremacy, white supremacy. So we have to look at this and I just want to pull up a few tweets here. Um, from this kind of these, these variety of threads. This is a guy, uh, Tariq Nasheed, the Boulder, Colorado shooting suspect, 
is a is a white man named Ahmad Alisa. Um, several white supremacists online are now trying to claim the white su- suspect isn't white based on his name. They love playing the denial of whiteness game when it's convenient. So let's address white crime. Um, okay. Uh, I said the fact that the dude gunned down 10 people and the, and the police didn't shoot his ass. They actually did shoot him. Um, that means he's white. We ain't going to start playing games just because he was born in Syria. The suspect is white enough to benefit from the privileges of whiteness. That's some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Like just some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Go tell somebody from Syria that they're white. See how that works out for you. Jesus, fuck. All right. Uh, Amy Siskind says the shooter was taken into custody. In other words, is almost certain, certainly a white man again. If he were black or brown, he would be dead. And then the next tweet is, let's mourn the victims, not glorify the killer with the attention of having his name widely known because it doesn't fit your narrative. Amy, let's manipulate the deaths of people to push your agenda. Really? The blue check mark on Twitter. You really earned that, didn't you? Moving on. Uh, Yusar Hasid. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, a poor white guy who may have had a bad day or just a sex addict killed at least 10 people in Boulder. He was apprehended and not choked or shot to death because he's not brown, black, or Muslim. Well, he's two of those things, technically. Uh, and yes, he is only a shooter, not a terrorist. Um, well, he is Muslim. And then this guy's in his profile says, debunking misinformation slash fake news. My ass. You're debunking misinformation or fake news. You are a sharer, a spreader, a super spreader of misinformation and fake news, my friend. And then moving on, just because he's Muslim doesn't mean he's not a white guy. Really? Because I think when we talk about white guys, we, we, we can just keep, keep moving the goalposts if you want, but when you talk about white guys, I, I generally think you're talking about white Americans. Right? Like white Americans, white men, from the United States, expressing their... Uh, white privilege and, and, and you know, prolonging white supremacy. Isn't that what we're talking about? So, so are you gonna, now Syrians are now white guys. We're just going to keep going. How long until we go till black guys are white guys? Like, what are we doing here? Ten people are fucking dead. And this has to be about critical fucking race theory? Really? Now let's get into exactly who this person really was. And uh, Colorado shooting suspect was prone to raids, delusions, officials say. Law enforcement officials and former associates of Ahmad al-Awi Alisa, accused of killing 10 people in a Colorado supermarket, described suspect as someone prone to sudden rage. Uh, Alisa was once suspended from high school for a sudden attack on a classmate that left him left the student uh, bloodied. Alisa had bought an assault rifle or assault weapon, excuse me, six days before the attack. According to the arrest affidavit, investigators were not, have not established a motive. Law enforcement officials and former associates of the 21-year-old accused of killing 10 people at a Colorado supermarket described the suspect as someone prone to sudden rage who was suspended from high school for a sudden attack on a classmate that left the student bloodied. Um, Ahmad, who is from the Denver suburb of Arvada, was booked into jail Tuesday on murder charges a day after the attacks. Yada, yada, yada. Elisa was brought... 
who had bought an assault weapon on March 16th, six days before the attack. According to the arrest affidavit, investigators have not established the motive. Um, it was not immediately known where the suspect purchased the weapon. Now, he people were talking about this because there was there wasn't an, uh, an assault weapons ban in Boulder, so that just got repealed. DNRA was celebrating that they repealed this assault weapons ban in Boulder. Listen, Boulder's a pretty small town. There's not a lot of gun stores in Boulder. Most gun stores in that area are outside the city limits. You can drive 15, and he also lived in Arvada, which is closer to Denver anyways. You can get an AR at any gun store outside of Boulder. So to think that 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 ban had anything to do with this, unless he would have gone to Boulder from Arvada, bought the weapon, gone home for six days, figured out how to use it, I guess, and then gone and, like, so this, that old narrative... Completely dismantled. Makes no sense. Among the dead was a Boulder police officer. Um, let's see. The law enforcement official briefed on the shooting said the suspect's family told investigators they believed Elisa was suffering from some type of some type of mental illness, including delusions. Relative relative described times that Elisa told them people were following or chasing him. He also had stuff on his. Uh, I saw on his Facebook about him. Uh, people ha- he thought people were hacking his phone. That Islamophobic Islamophobic people were hacking his phone. Um, they they said that he may have contributed to the, that may have contributed to the violence. The officials the official was not authorized to speak publicly and spoke to the Associated Press on conditions of anonymity. Um, yeah, he said his sister in law told him that he was messing around with the weapon uh, that looked like a machine gun two days earlier, according to an arrest affidavit. Oh man, and this is just. Tragic. Now, if we, there's, if we, I don't want to read this whole thing, but he goes into stories about how he had lost a wrestling match in high school and lost his, and started screaming and saying he was going to kill everybody. He actually got kicked off the wrestling team for that. Um, he said that somebody was racist towards him, beat that person um, really badly. The person was bleeding out of their head and vomiting. Um, he would see things that weren't there. It seems like he was maybe undiagnosed, like paranoid schizophrenic, um, but we still don't know the motives of all of this, and it's incredibly tragic. But what we're seeing is narratives being pushed. And I understand. I fucking understand. We have a mental health crisis that's been exacerbated by the lockdowns. We also, and I know conservatives are going to hate me saying this, we have a fucking gun problem. Okay? We have a gun problem. We have a mental health problem and a gun problem. It's not one or the other. Okay? We don't really have a white supremacy problem. On the same scale that we have a mental health crisis, an economic crisis, and a gun issue. Because there are so many guns. And they're so easy to get. And this guy had just been released from jail for some other minor offense that would have kept him from getting a gun with rational gun policy. Now, I want to go in here and we're going to play what Joe Biden had to say, the full thing, and then we're going to play what Ted Cruz had to say. Uh, and these are both the day after. So let's just look at the difference in tone, the difference in strategy. I don't like either one of these guys. I don't like Biden and I don't like Ted Cruz, but we're going to play what they said because they're both leaders of their prospective parties. There's still a great deal we don't know about the killer and the motivation of the killer in Boulder, Colorado and other critical aspects of this mass shooting. I've been briefed this morning by the Attorney General of the United States, the Director of the FBI. I've spoken with the Governor, and uh, 
I'll be speaking with the mayor on the, on the aircraft. We're working very closely with the state and local law enforcement officials, and they're going to keep me updated as they learn more. You're going to ask me to speculate. Understandably, you'd ask me to speculate about what happened, why it happened. And I'm not going to do that now, because we don't have all the information. Not until I have all the facts. But I do know this. <clears throat> as President, I'm going to use all the resources at my disposal to keep the American people safe. As I said, at this moment, a great deal remains unknown. But three things are certain. First, 10 lives have been lost, and more families have been shattered by gun violence in the state of Colorado. And Jill and I are devastated. And uh, the feeling, I just can't imagine how the families are feeling, the victims whose futures were stolen from them, from their families, from their loved ones, who uh, now have to struggle to go on and try to make sense of what's happened. Less than a week after the horrific murders of eight people and the assault on the AAPI community in Georgia, while the flag was still flying half-staff for the tragedy, another American city has been scarred by gun violence and resulting trauma. And the state that I even hate to say it because we were saying it so often, my heart goes out. Our hearts go out for the survivors the, who had to, uh, had to flee for their lives and who hid, terrified, unsure if they would ever see their families again, their friends again. The consequences of all this are deeper than I suspect we know. By that, I mean the mental consequences, the feeling of the Anyway, it's just been through too many of these. The second point I want to make is my deepest thanks to the heroic police and other first responders who acted so quickly to address the situation and keep uh, the members of their community safe. And to state the obvious, the obvious, I commend the exceptional bravery of Officer Eric Talley. And I send my deepest condolences to his family his close, close family and seven children. You know, when he pinned on that badge yesterday morning, he didn't know what the day would bring. I want everybody to think about this. Every time an officer walks out of his or her home and pins that badge on, the family member that they just said goodbye to wonders whether they'll subconsciously, will they get that call, the call that his wife got? He thought he'd be coming home to his family and his seven children. But when the moment the act came, Officer Tully did not hesitate in his duty, making the ultimate sacrifice in his effort to save lives. <clears throat> That's a definition of an American hero. And thirdly, I want to be very clear. This is the one thing I do know enough to say on in terms of what's happened there. While we're still waiting for more information regarding the shooter, his motive, the weapons he used, the guns, the magazines, the weapons, the modifications that apparently have taken place to those weapons that are involved here, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. I got that done when I was a senator. It passed. It was law for the longest time. And it brought down these mass killings. We should do it again. 
We can close the loopholes in our background check system, including the Charleston loophole. That's one of the best tools we have right now to prevent gun violence. The Senate should immediately pass, let me say it again, the United States Senate, I hope some are listening, should immediately pass the two House passed bills that close loopholes in the background check system. These are bills that receive votes of both Republicans and Democrats in the House. This is not and should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It will save lives, American lives. And we have to act. We should also ban assault weapons in the process. I'll have much more to say as we learn more, but I wanted to be clear. Those poor folks who died left behind families that leaves a big hole in their hearts. And, and, we can save lives, increasing the background checks so that they're supposed to occur, and eliminating assault weapons and the size of magazines. We don't know all the detail yet on that. But I'll be talking to you more later today or in the next couple of days about what else we know. May God bless you all. Okay, so that's Joe Biden saying ban assault weapons and continue laws that clearly aren't fucking working. <sighs> don't agree. And here's something else I, do, I, I agree with, I don't agree with, excuse me, um, on, on a lot of counts and a lot of just generally don't agree with Ted Cruz on many things at all. But let's look at the, the, let's take the conservative approach to the same issue. And we wake up to a horrific act of mass murder. All of us lift up in prayer the families in Boulder, Colorado, families in Atlanta that lost their lives, including the police officer in Boulder, Colorado. I can tell you in Texas, we've seen far too many of these. I was in Santa Fe the morning of that shooting. Santa Fe High School is less than an hour from my house. I was in El Paso at the Walmart for yet another senseless mass murder. I was in Dallas where five police officers were murdered by a radical. I was in Sutherland Springs in that beautiful sanctuary where a monster murdered innocent people. I've been to too damn many of these. A senator from Connecticut just said, it's time for us to do something. I agree, it is time for us to do something. And every time there's a shooting, we play this ridiculous theater where this committee gets together and proposes a bunch of laws that would do nothing to stop these murders. Senator from Connecticut just said the folks on the other side of the aisle have no solutions. Well, the senator from Connecticut knows that is false. And he knows that's false because Senator Grassley and I together introduced legislation, Grassley-Cruz, targeted at violent criminals, targeted at felons, targeted at fugitives, targeted at those with serious mental disease, to stop them from getting firearms, to put them in prison when they try to illegally buy guns. What happens in this committee after every mass shooting is Democrats propose taking away guns from law-abiding citizens, because that's their political objective. But what they propose, not only does it not reduce crime, it makes it worse. The jurisdictions in this country with the strictest gun control have among the highest rates of crime and murder. When you disarm law-abiding citizens, you make them more likely to be victims. If you want to stop these murders, 
Go after the murderers. Grassley Cruz came to a vote on the floor of the Senate in 2013. It got a majority vote on the floor of the Senate. 52 senators voted for Grassley Cruz in the Harry Reid Democratic Senate. Nine Democratic senators voted for Grassley Cruz, the most bipartisan support of any of the comprehensive legislation. So why did it pass into law? Because Democratic senators, including many of the senators in this room, including the senator from Connecticut who just said Republicans have no answers, filibustered the law and prevented it from passing. And I want to point something out there, too. The reason they did that, what it seems like to me, and, and I wasn't really engaged in this in 2013, but it's because they didn't want Democrats, to, the Democrats didn't want Republicans to be seen as actually making progress because it's too good of a um, tool to divide people and to rally votes and things like that. So it's a manipulation technique and they didn't really want progress. Just like I say, I say this all the time, with guns, they don't want progress, they want an argument. An argument is way better at rallying voters and, and dividing us even more. So to actually have progress that was led by Republicans would be problematic for the Democrats and their agenda. Demanded 60 votes. If Grassley Cruz had passed into law, Sutherland Springs very likely would not have happened. Why is that? Because the shooter there, the murderer there, had a conviction in the Air Force that the Obama Air Force failed to report to the background check system. And Grassley Cruz mandated an audit of all of the convictions to make sure the background check database has those felonies in it. Not only that, Grassley Cruz mandated that when a felon tries to illegally buy a firearm, that the Department of Justice prosecute them. The Department of Justice has a long and I think indefensible practice of not prosecuting felons and fugitives who try to illegally buy guns. If Grassley Cruz had passed, the gun crimes task force that it had created would have charged prosecutors with going after gun criminals, locking them up, and putting them in prison. That's how we prevent these. Now, we will learn in the coming days and weeks the exact motivation of the murderers in Atlanta and Boulder, Colorado. We'll learn what happened there. But we already know this pattern is predictable over and over and over again. There are steps we can take to stop these crimes. And you know what the steps aren't? The steps aren't disarming law-abiding citizens. Every year, firearms are used in a defensive capacity to defend women, children, families, roughly a million times a year in the United States. And the Democrats who want to take away the guns from those potential victims would create more victims of crimes, not less. I agree it's a time for actions. And by the way, I don't apologize for thoughts or prayers. I will lift up in prayer people who are hurting, and I believe in the power of prayer. And the contempt of Democrats for prayers is an odd sociological thing. But I also agree thoughts and prayers alone are not enough. We need action. Today, Chair Chairman Grassley and I are introducing again Grassley Cruz, and I would ask Senate Democrats, including some of our newer colleagues who just got here, not to participate again in the shameful filibuster that this body engaged in in 2013. Let's target the bad guys, the felons, the fugitives, those with mental disease. Let's put them in jail. Let's stop them from getting guns. Let's not scapegoat innocent law-abiding citizens, and let's not target their constitutional rights. Yes, and. So I don't disagree with that. You, you will not hear me say that I agree with Ted Cruz often at all. 
But when you look at the two different perspectives there, and we're just going to say that was the that Biden's take is the is the Democrat take, and 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 Ted's is uh, the Republican take. The one that has the most chance of one not creating outrage and two actually creating progress is Ted Cruz's plan. You don't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. There are so many guns in this country, and gun ownership has gone up. And as gun ownership has gone up, crime has gone down. That's indisputable. That's just a fact. Okay, it's a weird thing to look at and you would think that that's odd, but there are other reforms that need to be made outside of what Ted Cruz is talking about. Yes, if you have there's there's correlates with this antipsychotic drugs are a big one. Um, There's so many correlates with the kind of people that do these types of shootings. That being said, shootings like this make up less than one percent of gun violence as a whole in the country each year and most gun violence occurs in places like chicago where there's shootings every day right and if you change the definition of a mass shooting from four people outside the shooter being shot to three people outside the shooter being shot the stats change dramatically dramatically so we got to look at all the whole picture here the whole entire picture and this is a good step Right, I think the Grassley Cruz uh, bill is a good step in the right direction, but it is not enough. It is not enough. And when we look at all of this, we've got to be really mindful of the optics. We've got to be really mindful that an equitable solution is going to leave both sides unhappy. Okay. The Democrats don't need to get what they want. They've been doing this shit in their cities and Democrat led cities. And I'm not going to, I'm not trying, I don't say that kind of shit very often and I don't like saying it, but places like Chicago, and I'm going to keep using that as an example, have the highest rates of gun violence in the country and they have all kinds of gun regulations doesn't seem to work. So why keep doing things that don't work? In my opinion, we've got to take a few steps back and a bunch of steps forward and quit things being have things be less confusing, more straightforward, and more practical and rational given what we have today, what we do today, the, the amount of technology we have today, which the government seems to not adopt. It's like their fucking gun background check system is from 1994. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense, right? It's like the internet exists, guys. Did you know? We can make this really easy. If you have uh, a pending crime, assault, or a history of assault, or even assault charges, you got to jump through some fucking major hoops to get a high-capacity, high-power rifle or a pistol. Like th- These are all things that need to happen. But we're, we've jumped on this, and now this Denver shooting is is either a call to ban assault weapons, which you're just not going to do, by the way. No one's going to comply with that. And then some states are going to have uh, be Second Amendment sanctuary states. They're going to rebel against the federal government. You're going to have places like Texas where they're just not going to follow any of the fucking rules anymore because you've put on tyrannical rules in their view, right? And then you're going to have some states where only the only bad guys have guns, right? Like if you were think about California, for example, how hard is it to go from California to Nevada? Nevada will most likely be a, sec- a second amendment sanctuary state. They'll just spill over, right? In the same way that guns from uh, the United States spill into Mexico. There's one gun store in Mexico, one gun store. And how much gun violence do the cartels take part in? One gun store. With all of that, we got to look at what we're doing here, right? We have an overuse, and, and, and I had this conversation with somebody the other day about the cartels. Yes, legally purchased firearms spill into Mexico. And the reason is that they don't check cars going into Mexico. They only check them coming out because we're only concerned about drugs, right? And conservatives need to understand this. 
most people that do drugs are not drug addicts and do not have a problem. And yes, I mean illicit drugs. I mean heroin, cocaine, whatever. Most people who do those things do not have a drug problem. And hey, liberals, most people who have guns, including ARs and high-capacity magazines, are not criminals and do not kill people. Both of those things are true as fuck. So let's keep that in mind when we make policy decisions because they're feeding off of one another. And now we're seeing more people die and it be used to either push an agenda of white supremacy, which this dude wasn't white, so that doesn't make any fucking sense. And somehow it's like he is white, but he's not white. It's like this is whole fucking thing. And then we're trying to ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines. And you just don't put that two space back in the tube. If we could go back to when Armalite rifles were invented and like put some regulations in place. Yeah, but now what we've got to do is act retroactively. And I do have a plan for that, which we're going to talk about later on in the show and something to think about. We're going to break that all down. We have to have pragmatic solutions. And I'm really concerned. I'm really frustrated, honestly, with the conservatives, right? But then I hear this, right, where their gun bill got filibustered, a step in the right direction, a background check audit, a, a uh, barrier or uh, the creating a federal crime out of felons trying to get guns, which is illegal. But right now, the worst thing that happens if a felon tries to buy a gun and it comes up on their background check, is they just don't get the gun. That should be a crime. You feel? So there was progress that was trying to be made in 2013. Democrats didn't want Republicans to have that uh, that badge of honor, so they block it. Makes sense. And now we're in a place where that's going to be held over their heads. You're going to see a red wave in the midterms, by the way, because Democrats are going to keep pushing this type of stuff, which is incredibly unpopular. But we've got to have a little bit more perspective and we've got to have some compromise and we have to have pragmatic solutions. And I've always said that I'm more frustrated with conservatives who claim to be, that's why I fucking hate the NRA, by the way. The NRA doesn't provide any kind of solutions, right? I was going to join a long range uh, gun club here in Colorado because um, I wanted to shoot my rifles at 600 or 1,000 yards. I wanted to pick up that skill. I thought that'd be fun, but I had to be an NRA member to join the club. And I don't want to be a fucking NRA member because they don't do shit. They're a lobby group that just does a song and dance and just counts money. So I look at that and I'm like, the NRA should be providing equitable solutions. But the NRA's answer to everything is the answer that uh, fulfills their own agenda, which is everybody should have more guns. And we're going to hear that. We're going to hear if somebody, some idiot's going to say, well, we should, grocery clerks should just be trained in tactical shooting. It's like, shut the fuck up. Like most people don't need to carry a gun. Most people don't need a concealed carry. And I will tell you, I just did my concealed carry class last weekend. It's a joke. It's sitting in a room for three and a half hours, learning how a gun works in different types of holsters and mechanics and ammunition. I'm like, this is, this qualifies me to carry a gun around. That's weird. I should probably have to shoot a gun. Can I prove that I had had to, had to work one before I get, am able to carry it around in public? That was odd, but that's the world we live in. And I'm the type of person that you would want to have a gun, right? I've been around these things since I was a kid. So when we look at look at this, and I'm just kind of all over the place here, I understand that, but this is where my mind's at, all over the place. Um, I was most frustrated with conservatives because I felt like they were the ones that claimed to be 
the advocates that had the experience, they should be the ones providing uh, solutions, but that's incredibly unpopular. And so much about this is getting elected. It's about getting elected the next in the midterms. It's about pushing their agenda. It's about standing up for freedom or whatever they want to call freedom. They just throw freedom around. But now I'm seeing here that Democrats are going to block Republican bills anyways because they want to be the ones. The ones that are uninformed on how guns work and probably have never shot an AR in their life are the ones that are going to make the regulations, right? And Democrats also want to make the drug regulations. See, to me, the drug situation and the gun situation are very similar here. Because Republicans are the anti-drug party, right? They're the party of the drug war, aside from, you know, Bill Clinton and that whole thing. But they're the party of drugs are bad, okay? Like, that's them. And the Democrats are the guns are bad, okay? Like, that's the thing. That's where we're at. And we're both at a stalemate, and both systems are fucked. So, when we look at it, we've got to take steps backwards and take steps forward all within a short period of time and create real solutions. And that's what we're going to get into and something to think about. So with all that being said, I've said when all, I say when all that's being said, it's like my nervous tick. I don't say, um, I mean, I do say, um, but I say with all that being said, if we think about all of it, I'm trying to catch myself here. Anyways, with all that being said, Let's actually talk about guns, gun violence, and what we can do. My idea, my solution. Something to think about. You know where we're at. You know what we're doing. Let's discuss it. I've actually got a couple guns sitting here next to me. And these are the kind of guns that like most people would have. Um, like generally, if you hunt hunt, and that's your thing, um, or if you're just a gun enthusiast, you're probably going to have these. If you're like a gun like gun nuts, um, usually stick to more like semi-automatics and ARs and, and, and things like Glocks and SIGs. Um, but if you're like an Elmer Fudd, as some people say, uh, then you've got most of these guns um, laying around and I just want to display the difference. Um, and if it, for audio only, you'll be able to see this just, there's audible, um, audible there as well. So long guns, and we're talking about most gun violence is done with pistols, with handguns. Okay. Like 90 some odd percent. So that's, let's just get that out of the way. That is a fact that is true. Now, for whatever reason, to me, handguns are much scarier than any kind of assault rifle, even if it's fully automatic. Um, they're easy to conceal. You can carry them around. They're they're dangerous. That's what people use to hold up liquor stores. Anything small and deadly like that is more scary to me than anything that's big and bulky. Um, but what I think we ought to do, where I think we should go, is kind of a tiered system to acquiring firearms. And I want you to just put this in perspective here. I mostly bow hunt. Bow hunting is my passion. Okay, backcountry, public land, bow hunting. In order to bow hunt, I have to have completed a hunter's safety course. Okay, to hunt with a bow and arrow, I have to have completed a hunter's safety course. It takes about a day. I did mine when I was like 15. 
but Kelly did hers this last year, my girlfriend, and it takes about a day. You know, it's an online course now because of COVID. Um, in that course, you have to, most of the time, outside of COVID, you have to prove that you can shoot. Okay? In order to have and use a firearm or a bow, you've got to pass that course. But I can go buy a an AR-15, right? Or a handgun just for being a certain age. That doesn't seem to make that much sense to me. So I think what we ought to do here is have a tiered system. And in tier one, nothing really fundamentally changes. Okay? Because we're basing the tiers on capacity, caliber, rate of fire, and reload time. Okay? So let's keep that in mind. You can have a high caliber, low capacity, high reload time, low rate of fire rifle, that is not all that dangerous in an active shooter situation against human beings. Okay, and I'll use one right here. One that everybody has. This is in uh, 25 out 6. This is a bolt action, right? This is what most people are going to be hunting with, right? So the rate of fire, it would be something like this. Two. Three. Four. That's all this thing holds, and then reloading would take this long. Right? You can see the difference in that versus uh, something like an AR, right? Another really common uh, long gun hunting rifle type situation would be, this is a 12 gauge, this is, a, this is like a duck upland, this is like a general shotgun, right? Rate of fire is this. Right and reload would take about the same amount of time. That's a completely different scenario. Can you kill someone? Yes. Can you put a 30-round magazine in those things and just keep going? No. So for those things, those type of weapons, these long guns that are used primarily for hunting, should not be that big of a deal to keep everything almost exactly the same way that it is, right? Maybe we add like a, 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 a gun safety verification that you can, that can be done online just to show that you know how to like store firearms and that you're familiar enough with them or you've done enough homework to be able to responsibly own one. Not a big deal, right? Nothing fundamentally changes there. And the same can be said for something I actually don't have here, but a higher capacity, uh, higher rate of fire, very low caliber aim, uh, weapon like a 10-22, right? Very popular. A 22 uh, long rifle is very, very popular. Is it dangerous? Yes. Can you kill someone with it? Yes. Can you do a mass shooting with it? Not effectively, right? It's a thing that people shoot Coke cans with and squirrels and, and, and things like that. If you're a squirrel hunter that, that, you know, like that's kind of what you use or, or something like a 410, right? There's all these different kinds of, of low caliber weapons that do shoot. They're semi-automatic, but don't really belong in the same class as something uh, like an AR. Okay. So let's call that tier one. All right. So that's your hunting rifles, your basic stuff, low rate of fire, um, high reload time, uh, lower capacity. Okay. And higher caliber sometimes, right? So we'll just keep all that the same. Then we move into a different genre. Let's call this tier two. Okay. And in that, I think we, we start adding in pistols and higher caliber, uh, higher caliber, higher capacity, higher rate of fire. Right? So I think the biggest shift there would be something like a revolver. There's a bunch of different types of revolvers. They hold six rounds. Are they dangerous? Yes. Can you kill someone with them? Yes. Can you do a mass shooting? Not effectively, in my opinion. Can you rob a liquor store? Of course you can. Um, that may be 
something that takes a little bit more to get that tier two weapon. Okay, something maybe like a, a, a half-day uh, pistol safety class type of thing that you've done. And, and I think all of these classes, by the way, should be cheaper free, right? Especially if you have to do something in person, like a, a pistol safety class, right, to get your safety card. I think the government pays for that, the state government probably, from the taxes from firearm sales. And you use that to employ former police, former military, so you're creating a jobs program on top of a gun safety program. That fits both sides, right? The left gets satisfied with their gun safety and the right gets satisfied with jobs and, and, and benefits for former military, former police. Right? Does that make sense? So we have something that takes a long time to reload in a, in a revolver. Um, you can get higher capacity. They do shoot relatively fast, but they also have a lot of recoil. Um, so they're just not that effective at doing something like what we saw in Denver or, um, or Atlanta. Right? And we can even move up into some like maybe smaller capacity semi-automatics with a lower caliber. Then let's talk about tier three. Okay. Tier three would where we would put um, most common semi-automatic pistols that are magazine-fed um, and ARs, things like that. If that's the case, okay, I think your barrier to entry to that should be a half-day or full-day shooting workshop slash class at the range, done at a range, indoor, outdoor, doesn't matter, okay, led by former military or active military, former police, active police, okay, again, cheap or free, and also fun and informative, right? If it's something you want to do, if your family's into guns, take the family out, do the thing, qualify, right? Get your safety card for tier three. This all being said, I don't want, and what we have in like things like HR 127 is that these registries would exist to show how many guns you have, what kind of guns you have, what kind of ammunition you have, all of that. Nobody's going to comply with that. It's a complete pain in the ass, and it does not going to solve any problems at all. Right. But it would be nice to know who has the legal right to carry have possession of these arm these firearms. Right. And I also think that in that tier three, we get into mental health checks. Right. Somebody paid for it's a state employee that you have to go through a mental screening that's not paid for by you, right? They don't have any financial incentive to passing you. But somebody that is there, maybe you can do this on via Zoom, you can do this however you want to do it. There's lots of ways we can go about doing this. It's not that complicated. But some kind of health screening and, and a check on your mental health and your mental background and your mental history. If you have a history of domestic violence, no guns. Um, paranoid schizophrenic, no guns, right? Maybe a hunting rifle is one thing if you want to get out and that's like your thing and you want to, that maybe we could have some conversations about that. But still, if you're you know, have a mental, uh, a mental health history, probably not the best idea to give you a fucking assault style weapon. Right. And now they aren't technically assault rifles. I get that, but we're not going to play that right now. And the difference is this. So I'm going to pull this out. Like I said, so I have empty magazine and an empty unloaded uh, firearm right here. And you can't hear the rate of fire in the same way, but you can shoot accurately two to three rounds per second because there is no recoil. Right. And you have a 30-round magazine. It takes this long to reload. Right? So with that, in that amount of time, I went from 30 to 60 rounds from an empty magazine to a full one. That's a different scenario. That's a different reality. That has different 
potential, right? Because if I wanted to go into a, let's just use the King Supers with a bolt action hunting rifle, I could shoot off four rounds and then I've got to take 30 seconds to reload the damn thing, which is kind of a cumbersome process. In that amount of time, somebody could tackle me. I can get bum rushed. Like many things could happen in that amount of time. But in the four seconds it takes to pull out a new magazine and put a new one in, for an untrained individual, somebody who's trained is much less than that. That's a different reality. And the reason that I pull the firearms out, for those of you watching the video, is I know a lot of people aren't familiar with these kind of things. But it's pretty clear to me that there's a different requirement. But at the same time, we can't start creating a registry of who has what guns, especially if that's public, like what is presented in H.R. 127, the legislation that just passed the House, because that's a public registry of where your firearms are, right? So if you have a, a hunting cabin somewhere or something like that or a camp somewhere, you would legally have to say, These, there's guns at this place that I'm only at like one month a year. It's a great way for someone to find how to break in and steal your shit, especially when you uh, decrease the availability, which drives up demand and gives people who would steal guns. And guns are stolen pretty often. We actually have a sign in our neighborhood that says, don't leave guns in your car. Like that just gives somebody a roadmap <laughs> to where that goes. But we should have a system of like, hey, you qualify to have, a, have an AR. The tier one weapons, I could even say no barrier to entry. Right? Like just normal stuff, the way we've been doing it now, because those guns are so rarely used. They are involved in gun accidents. So gun storage and safety is a big thing. But we could create this system to where we know like, hey, you've got the license to, to have one of these. And then you also have variations on concealed carry. You could even move up and do uh, uh, more tactical style training. All of these kind of things are really, honestly, really fun. And they're led by a good instructor and really informative. But we've got to keep in mind that we have this Second Amendment right that is very important. And people use weapons like this to protect their homes, right? When someone says, hey, like, what kind of gun should I get to protect my home? I say, like, get yourself a, a short 410 and buckshot. It's easy to use. It's not cumbersome. It's very effective. And if someone's breaking into your house, it's a great way to protect yourself. More so than a pistol, it's also way safer and easier to use, right? So access to pistols, I think, is like secondary to other firearms that are better for things like home protection. If you want to carry, of course, you're going to need a pistol for that. But these, there should be a really robust and very equitable system as far as obtaining these. Now, we already have more guns than we do people within this country, and that's great. A couple of things I think are really could be really good. A federal buyback program, that's no questions asked, okay? And I think what we do with that, and what we do with that is, is that gets guns, in my opinion, off the streets. And that's not necessarily for people like me to go like sell my guns back to the government. I don't want to do that. But if, uh, say, like a single mom finds a handgun in her son's underwear drawer, that gets taken to the buyback center. They don't ask a bunch of questions. They keep it on. They keep it on file. They keep it in case it was used in a crime. Once it's clear it's not, it wasn't used in a crime. It gets destroyed. Okay, that's not a huge problem. And I think that would get us start working to get guns off the streets in that way and offer enough for those guns, right, in the federal program that where it's kind of um, 
it's kind of advantageous to get those guns off the streets. And those are illegal guns that are passing hands. Also closing gun show loopholes and private transfer loopholes. If I want to buy a gun online and people talk about on- online gun sales a lot, if you want to buy a gun online, you have to have it FFL transferred is what it's called. So basically what happens is you buy the gun online and this is how I got uh, both of our ARs. You buy the gun online, it gets shipped to a gun dealer, right? So a gun store. They check it into their inventory and it's reserved for you pending your background check. So they get the gun and once the gun is in inventory, it shows that you have purchased the gun. But in order to be given the gun, you have to go pass your background check and then you get your gun. So online gun sales are much different than that. Now you can buy um, different parts like barrels and things like that online, which is fine, but there may be, you know, maybe some reform needs to be happened there, but that also challenges people who live in rural areas who don't have access to like gun stores on a regular basis. So I don't see that being a huge problem, but I do think it'd be nice if we had some barriers to entry to obtaining very dangerous things like we do with everything else, right? If you want to drive a fucking Mack truck, if you want to be a truck driver, you've got to get a special, a CDL. You've got to get a special license for that. Right? This is all normal outside of guns, but we have this gun worshiping culture that I think gets in the way. And people are so driven to be elected all the time, right, that they can't even stand up for what they may believe in. And you have people like Charlie Kirk, right, who I don't believe has ever really shot guns. Um, he grew up in a gated community outside of Chicago. Like, I don't understand. This kid doesn't really understand gun culture. Whereas I grew up in gun culture and I understand what it means in a place like where I grew up to have access to firearms and you go out and you do your thing and you're safe and you shoot them off of tailgates and you like have a good time and you go hunting and all this other stuff. Like that's a big part of our reality in those type of places. And we got to be respectful of that, but there is a better system. And I think we have to balance in like creating a barrier to entry and creating checks without creating uh, something that the conservatives would consider tyrannical. Now, if you're just going to cry tyranny all the time, like fuck you. Okay. We don't have time for that shit, but like a registry of like, I don't, I don't need the government knowing how many firearms I have, what kind of ammunition I have. I don't need the, all those details shared with the federal government. And I'm the first to say that I like that the federal government is a little bit nervous about how many guns there are. Right. I would prefer, I prefer that. But at the same time, I think we can do a lot to minimize consequences and it's going to be dissatisfying to both sides. And that is the way it should be. But I think a tiered system that treats Not all guns the same, right? I bought my first AR when I was 18. Mm, Probably not the best move, right? That probably shouldn't be allowed, right? I also sold that AR to a friend of mine who is a gun advocate, and it was like he had several of them. He's a former military guy, but I could just sell it to him. He gave me cash, gave him the gun. That's legal. Probably shouldn't be the case. We had to close loopholes. If a gun changes hands from private seller to private seller, it needs to be done through an FFL, right through a gun store, take the gun in, you pay them 25 bucks to facilitate the transfer. A background check happens that keeps guns out of felons hands. That's an easy thing. Is it infringing your rights? I don't think so. Fucking deal with it, right? Go to a Walmart. They have a gun store. They can do it for you, right? Take it in in a case, make sure it's unloaded, all that kind of fun stuff. Call ahead of time. It's not that hard, but the private to private seller, private seller to private buyer. That's how a lot of illegal firearms change hands. And it's legal. Now, it's not illegal to sell a gun to a felon, but they don't, if they don't disclose they're a felon, how the fuck would you know? So a lot needs to be done here and needs to be taken very seriously. But I think a tiered system that treats different types of firearms differently is going to boom. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to go, if you want to get a hunting rifle, 
because you're getting into into deer hunting or elk hunting, or if you were getting into bird hunting and you want to get a, a hunting shotgun, you shouldn't be punished for the actions of people that are fucking crazy. Right? Now, if you want to get into what is essentially a fucking toy, and don't sit here and tell me that an AR-15 is not like a fun play thing for people who love shooting guns. That's exactly what it is. If you want to get into that, go do your go do your 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 training course. Have a good time with it. It's going to be very affordable. It's going to be fun. It's going to provide jobs for a former military. It's a win all the way around. Get your card, just like you have a concealed carry card. You have a tier three weapons card. And you're good to go. You don't have to do it again. Maybe renew every five years via some online survey or something. Or some online health screen or some shit. And we're good. It's not that hard. That's my plan. That's what I think would be better. And man, it's a lot about guns. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out for that whole thing. That was way longer than I thought it was going to be. Back to regular scheduled podcasts this week. I'm going to do one this weekend to get it out early. Make up for the craziest fucking week of my life. Heart goes out to everybody that was impacted by these shootings. I'm really sorry. We can do better. We've got to compromise. We've got to have challenging discussions. In the meantime, keep your head on straight. Love you. See you later. <laughs>